0: Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Welcome to season two of the podcast, where we are going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest and we will talk about their journey into ultimate, what their life in ultimate looks like their most memorable games and a fun rapid fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, we would love for you to subscribe and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Away From Keyboard. AFK is a lifestyle brand that believes in reconnecting with humanity and our planet. Whether that's tossing a disc on the weekends or hanging out by a campfire, they're dedicated to get you to explore and grow in your own backyard. Join the adventure and check out their website at www.awayfromkeyboard.co. That's www.awayfromkeyboard.co. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Aaron Daly. Aaron has been a fixture in the Canadian Ultimate scene, winning silver with Team Canada Mix at the 2015 World Championships of Beach Ultimate, coming in fourth at the 2017 World Championships of Beach Ultimate, representing Canada by playing with banana cutters out of Vancouver, British Columbia, at the World Ultimate Club Championships in 2018, and winning a Canadian Ultimate Championship Silver Medal in the Mixed Division in 2019. She was selected to be a member of the Canadian National Mixed Team that was set to compete at the 2020 World Ultimate and Guts Championships, but the championships were postponed due to COVID-19. She has won Ultimate Newfoundland and Labrador's Female Athlete of the Year three years in a row from 2017 to 2019, and she was a finalist for Sport Newfoundland and Labrador's Female Athlete of the Year. In 2019, she was a member of Quebec IRIS, who qualified for the USA Ultimate National Championships. She has previously played for teams based out of the east coast of Canada, including Rec House, Tempest, Regiment, and The Collective. Erin attended Memorial University of Newfoundland and majored in Ocean and Naval Architectural Engineering. She currently lives in St. John's, Newfoundland. Here is my interview with Erin Daly. So I'm here with Erin Daly. A fixture in the Canadian Ultimate scene, especially on the East Coast, people out there listening that might not know too much about East Coast Ultimate scene, especially if you're from a different country. So we get to learn about that today. So Aaron, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, very well. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm all right. Excited uh, to learn a little bit more about the Maritimes and some East Coast Ultimate. So we're going to get started right away into your journey. So you've played for a few different teams. You want to mix gold with soup, as I mentioned in the bio earlier. And you played with Quebec Iris at the USA Ultimate National Championships in 2019. And you were selected for the mixed team that was set to compete. So how did that all start out for you? Where did you get your start in Ultimate?
1: I um, spent most of my, I guess, youth and adolescence and then early adult life training fairly intensely as a competitive swimmer. And my coach for the swim team in university was an Ultimate player from B.C., And he used to make us play ultimate all the time in between swim practices, like before and after. And I got really good at ultimate and it was way more fun than competitive swimming. So I kind of just slowly made the transition away from the swim team and into the ultimate community.
0: (laughs) Amazing. And uh, can you give a shout out to the coach that uh, helped you uh, get your ultimate career started there?
1: Oh, yeah, that was uh, Brad Hutton.
0: (laughs) Big shout out there uh, to Brad and getting Aaron started and having a lot of success thereafter in Ultimate. So how did you get involved in terms of your first club or playing experiences? What was that like?
1: Well, really, I started at like the worst rec league team. And then as people do, they slowly move on to better and better rec league teams. And then my friends and I made a a pretty good rec league team. And we've been together for like nine years now, but eventually started playing just local club in Newfoundland and then would travel to like maybe four or five tournaments a year. And then in 2015, I made my first national team. And since then I've been playing with more teams from different parts of the country and now hoping to play on at as many international and national level tournaments as I can.
0: That's uh sweet. And what appealed to you about Ultimate? Like what, what did Ultimate offer you that let's say competitive swimming wasn't able to?
1: Well it was so much more fun. Cause I don't know for those who have trained competitive swimming, you go to the pool and you just put your face in the water and sometimes you don't even really talk to another person for the whole practice. <laughs> But ultimate was just so much more fun, and I I was way better at ultimate than I was at swimming. Like I was, I was okay. Like I set a few records at our university in Newfoundland for swimming, but I was never going to go to CIS or anything. <laughs> but there was a lot to be accomplished in ultimate for me, and I made a lot of friends, so that that helps a lot, you know.
0: And in terms of being another, uh, you're not the first story here on the podcast of uh, another sport transplant there. So what did swimming offer you in terms of the skills and development that allowed you to bring that over to the ultimate scene?
1: Well, the, the biggest thing would be just a general fitness baseline and, I guess, work ethic because swimming is mostly just physical training. So I, I'd go from, you know, between 20 and 25 hours of practicing and training for swimming a week and then ultimately, like, at, at the most, you know, might be Ten or fifteen hours. Swimming makes you really, really fit. It's like the hardest sport and activity, <laughs> so that really helped with ultimate.
0: And have you done any like triathlon since then, or any uh, anything like that, or you're just sticking with ultimate now?
1: Oh yeah, I pretty much quit cold turkey. Like I'll go for a recreational paddle with friends, but <laughs> I don't really dabble anymore.
0: <laughs> That's fair. Now you're uh, fully in the ultimate scene there, and so. Let's get talking a little bit about the East Coast scene in terms of being, for those who aren't from Canada, being one of the provinces that are kind of situated a little bit away from uh, some of the other major playing hubs like Toronto or Ottawa or Montreal, or especially out there in the West Coast, obviously, like Vancouver. So what's the ultimate scene like out there where there's maybe potentially less players, but it's probably more close-knit as well, though?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a small community. Almost everybody knows everybody. But it means that it's much more concentrated, so you get a lot more high-level games. Like in your league, you'll probably play just between three or four of the best teams over and over again. So a lot of the games are really competitive, and there's lots of rivalries that you see match up all the time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and in terms of development, you, you have one women's team out there, you have one open team out there, so... Uh, how has the development been of those two teams? Do they bring in coaches from outside of the province, or is it mostly just homegrown talent, players getting recruited from out of province? What does that look like? The,
1: the women's team has always had a coach, and it's been, I guess, a male-matching player or, I guess, maybe a retired player. And it's been a local person who's coached the women's team. The open team hasn't had a coach. They have player captains who kind of run their practices and call lines and stuff at tournaments. So it's two really different approaches. So the women have a completely non-playing person running their team. And then the men have players trying to play and run the team at the same time.
0: Cool. And would you say that the club scene is continuing to grow there or is it kind of uh, reached like a, a stagnant phase? Or what would you say about in terms of the club scene out there?
1: I've played with both both the clubs, uh, the Women's Club and the Open Club, and I think it's hard to speak for other people, other players. It seems like maybe the Women's Club enjoys different aspects of Ultimate than purely the competitive accomplishments and outlet. They really like having something active and fun that they can do with a group of friends who are also interested in doing the same activity and fun thing and the men like that too but they definitely give each other a bit of a harder time to to improve and you know if if they mess up they they call each other on it and say hey you know you should go throw 200 times before next practice and (laughs) kind of thing but
0: (laughs) that's awesome and in terms of even just the location of where you are How has that been for the clubs in terms of getting better and playing other top teams? Because you might be playing, let's say, uh, Salty in the women's division or Red Circus, both based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Do you have an opportunity to play other top level teams or you have to travel really far for tournaments? What does that look like?
1: Travel is a really big obstacle for a lot of people. And the club teams generally go to two or three tournaments a year. And they don't always go to CUCs, even though Newfoundland does get a bid for open end women's every year. Sometimes we don't use it just because it's hard for to get a whole team to go. So it is a challenge to to improve and compete at a higher level against other teams when you're not getting those matchups as often as the elite teams get them throughout the run of a year. Where we're only, you know, going to maybe an invitational or a travel tournament once or twice and then going to CUCs. It is hard to compete at the highest level when you're not getting those matchups like the top teams are getting throughout the whole year.
0: And so with that, would you be traveling within the Maritimes trying to get some games in or does that not really happen?
1: That mostly happens just on like a one-off basis, like maybe one player or two players will pick up with another team to travel within the, the Atlantic provinces or maybe to a... A tournament in the state but it would be rare for the whole team to go to you know an extra kind of tournament together it's usually just kind of the one or two introductory or lead-in tournaments and and then CUCs and that would be like the the heaviest year it would be two tournaments and then CUCs
0: and would the reasoning be just because of the the travel costs because you're probably having to fly into some tournaments as well right
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we're on an island. So every tournament is a, a flying tournament.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no drive in tournaments for you. Whereas uh, people based out of Toronto or Vancouver or the major hubs, they can just drive a couple hours to a tournament even in the States. Oh, yeah. And then so we're, now we're going to talk a little bit about your experience with the national team. So you got picked to be on the beach team there in 2015. Had some success there. How did you get uh, noticed for that being out there in the East Coast and not having necessarily all those matchups with those top players or interactions that you might see at a big tournament or things like that?
1: The 2015 beach team was such a surprise to me because I hadn't competed at a high enough level to be noticed at that point. Like, I don't think anyone outside of Atlantic Canada would recognize the name Aaron Daly. And I saw that Ultimate Canada had shared like their Google form, apply to go to Beach Worlds in Dubai. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Sure, I'll apply. Like who, what are the chances? But like, why wouldn't I? So I filled out a little form and like sent it off. And then CUC's was sometime later. And we had a live stream game. And afterwards, one of my friends on the team, Jeff McConaughey, said, hey, Aaron, my friend Tushar wants to talk to you after the game. I was like, "Oh, that sounds cool." Like, I don't know who Tushar is, but <laughs> sure, I'll talk to him." And little did I know he was picking the team for Team Canada, and he offered me a spot on the roster right there. And I had no idea that he was watching the game or that I needed to play well. It just was really lucky that it was a game I had some good points in, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was great.
0: For sure. And shout out to uh, Ultimate Canada for putting up the live streams cuz I know that's an important thing because uh at those national tournaments sometimes you're not able to see all the games obviously if you're not near the area so being able to see at least one game per time slot is awesome and uh, also shout out to jeff McConomy, who i've played with uh, multiple years as well he's been uh, traveling out there for or was there for university and now uh out in the uh, Northwest Territories or Yukon or something up there. Shout out to him. So you got picked on the team. What was that experience like being able to play with those high level players and then starting to get those interactions and building up a little bit of a name for yourself?
1: Yeah, I was very, very nervous. And I sometimes regret that I didn't put my best foot forward at that tournament because I was just so, so nervous all the time, every game. But it was such a good experience. And I met a lot of fantastic ultimate players who've kind of helped me make more connections to play on other teams since then.
0: And would you say in 2017, I know not the result you wanted coming in fourth there, but you were picked to be on the women's team now. So what was that experience like getting picked to be on that team? Would you say those interactions from 2015 were able to help you get there?
1: I think it helped a little bit. I was actually initially an alternate for both teams. And then the women's team had some players who couldn't make it And I got added to that team. And then the mixed team had some players who couldn't make it. And they were like, well, we want Aaron and we want Aaron. But anyway, the women's team asked first. And I was so happy because I played really, really well at that tournament. And even though, as you said, we didn't get the result we wanted, I felt like I had accomplished more in 2017 than I had in 2015 because I played a lot better. And I felt like I fit in a little bit more because I... In 2015, I was a little starstruck by everyone, and in 2017, I, I felt just like you know one of the one of the girls.
0: <laughs> That's fair. And what do you think changed in those couple of years, like that allowed you to get that self confidence to be able to say, "Hey, I can compete with these ladies, uh, both in, within Canada but also around the world." What gave you that confidence to uh, be able to say, "Hey, I can do this?"
1: Well, going to a few, I guess, higher level tournaments in between that time helps every chance you get to play ultimate you get better and better and more and more confident and then training to get ready to apply for the team and then to compete at worlds made me more ready I think after having already been to a beach worlds I kind of knew what what to expect and I knew what fitness level I needed to get to because I don't know if you've played beach, probably, or if anyone listening has played beach, but the first point you go out there, you feel like you're absolutely going to die. It is so much harder running on sand than it is on grass. And I remember the first point of the tournament coming off and just thinking like, there's no way I can make it through the whole week. This is insane. And even in 2017, I got that same shock after the first point. But I was like, okay, I I know it's not going to be feeling like this the whole time. And I had prepared, I'd done a lot of conditioning and and everything, so.
0: For those who are interested in potentially playing beach ultimate, uh, especially at the highest level there, what type of training were you doing to get ready for it? Were you doing a lot of running on sand or are you just doing more stuff uh, at the track? What did that look like?
1: Running on sand would definitely be an asset. Unfortunately, in Newfoundland, there might be only one place to run on sand and it would take like an hour and a half to drive there. So it's not really an option for me to do as like a consistent training thing, but any kind of agility training and conditioning is really going to help. I do strength training pretty much all year round, like a more solid base in the fall, I suppose. Give myself a little break after the summer season, but mostly strength training. And then into the winter and spring add in conditioning and agility. And conditioning just helps so much. And and really that is just running sprints, just going out onto the field and setting up two cones and running back and forth as fast as you can over and over again.
0: <laughs> and you'd probably say that your swimming background allowed you to sort of have a bit of better of a conditioning base than someone else who doesn't come from that background, right? Definitely. After twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen rolls around and you get to play at a pretty cool tournament, right? In Cincinnati, Ohio. World Ultimate Club Championships, where for those who might not know, instead of countries being represented by themselves, you go in as your club. So that's pretty cool. You got to play with banana cutters. Shout out to them, West Coast people out there. Out of Vancouver, they did well at Canadian National, so they got a spot. And you played with them. So what was the process like getting to play with them or even getting noticed by them?
1: Yeah, that was such a cool cool tournament and cool group of people and again it was such a fluke i saw my friend betsy who i had played on with beach a few times she had just shared a link to again like a google form apply to be on banana cutters to go to worlds I was like yes that sounds amazing i'll apply and then lo and behold they email me and they're like hey erin we're we're interested in you joining us for worlds And it's like this is insane i didn't know, think i knew a single person on the team And I, like, flew to Vancouver for a couple weekends and just, like, met everybody. And it was so much fun. So much fun.
0: So uh, can you describe a little bit of that Worlds experience? Just so that those who haven't had a chance to play Worlds like myself can get a little glimpse of what that looks like. Because I'm sure it's a, a little bit different than, as you said, the beach tournament where you're going in as your country. You get to go in as a club. So there are other Canadian teams out there, like Crash, from Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario. So what was that Worlds experience like?
1: Well, it was just an absolutely massive tournament because countries have so many teams. Like Canada had, you know, over 10 teams in the tournament, maybe.
0: <laughs> a lot of teams, a lot of teams, though. There were
1: a lot. Yeah, a lot of teams. But yeah, it was just so big. And it was really cool to play against other club teams from other countries because sometimes you play against a, a, a national team. That, you know they don't really have the like all the history together like a club team does so you see the little personalities and the relationships and it was really really fun and really cool and really good experience
0: and were you able to to get into the jersey trading night as a jersey official out of myself i know that that would be one of the the best nights right is everyone just huddling around tra- trading jerseys so were you able to get some uh, good jerseys out there
1: Actually, really wanted to keep my banana cutters jersey, so I didn't. I didn't trade them away.
0: <laughs> That's fair. Some some memorabilia for you to hold on to. We're going uh, year by year, but this is the final year here, 2019. You won a silver medal at the Canadian Ultimate Championships in the mixed division. It was a really important tournament for all divisions because the way it's set up with Ultimate Canada, if you win. The gold medal in your respective division, you get to form most of the not all, but most of the selection committee for that team for the what would have been the 2020 World Ultimate Gods Championships. So, what was that experience like playing with Soup out of Ontario, a conglomeration of different Ontario players out there? Uh, I don't know if they had a city they were based out of, but how did you get the call for that? Did you apply? What was that like?
1: No, I, I didn't apply. I got a message from. Josh Marin, a guy who was on my 2015 beach team, Jordan Marin's brother. Jordan was also on the 2015 beach team. And that's how I met both of them. But he just messaged me and said, Hey, putting together a team for CUCs. Let me know if you're in. And I was like, That sounds great. I'd love to go to CUCs. <laughs> so I met every single person on the team except for Josh on Thursday morning, an hour before our first game. And again, really, really fun tournament. Random group of people. A lot of them, you know, hadn't played too many tournaments together before, but it worked out pretty well, I guess.
0: So, unfortunately, a bit of a disappointment there not coming in first, meaning that you weren't able to be part of the selection committee or your team at least. But some good news came out of it. You actually did end up making the National Canadian Mixed Team there. So, what was that process like? How did you find out and what was your first reaction?
1: Well, all the teams had to go through a tryout process, so I flew to Toronto to participate in in-person tryouts, and the mixed and women's teams had tryouts kind of back-to-back Saturday and Sunday, a full day. And I went to both of those, and it was a, an absolutely grueling weekend. The coaches and selection committee wanted to see, you know, everything they could as, <laughs> in a short amount of time as possible that was fantastic getting to match up against the the best players in the country for a spot on the national team. That's you know kind of what so many people work towards. And it was great to even get to go to those tryouts. But then a few months later, I got the call from the mixed team coach and he said, like to offer me a spot on the roster. And I was ecstatic.
0: Not an alternate this time too. Like a, like the roster <laughs> spot right away is what you're saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff there. And I was going to ask, it sounds like you, you know, you play for a few different teams now bouncing around. And would you say that's been a product of just being where you live? Is that part of that? Why there's certain teams you kind of latch onto, or maybe a a pickup team here and there just because of the travel, uh, or I guess lack thereof, in terms of being able to travel with certain teams out of that area?
1: Definitely. I um, like to get in as many high level elite tournaments as I can. And, and I know sometimes that means picking up with other teams. So hopefully I get, you know, a call from someone that says, hey, come join a team, or go into, you know, CUCs or go into regionals or whatever. Sometimes I reach out myself to to people in the community that I, I know where I've played with before and say, hey, you know, what's going on? Are you going to any tournaments? Please, please take me. <laughs>
0: You need like a flyer or something on your Facebook or Instagram or something just so that people know that you're searching for a team there so people know. But in 2019, you're able to, after playing in the mixed division, you're able to play the fall series, which is a little bit later in the U.S. than the Canadian summer series. And you're able to play with Quebec Iris. So did you end up going and practicing on weekends with them? Or what did that look like in terms of getting set up for that team?
1: So that team, again, there was a Google form looking to pick up. Google Forms have really been intricate in my ultimate career thus far. <laughs> so please, organizers <laughs> and team administrators, keep doing them. <laughs> but I was looking to add some people to their roster for the fall series. They had some of their players who couldn't make it. Yes, this is fantastic. You know, I'll apply. And so I did. And then I texted my friend, Marie Boschman, who I'd played with in 2017 at beach worlds and we were roommates so we got along fairly well and I said hey I just applied to play on iris you know put in a a little good word for me (laughs) and then I sent some video I think for them to look at because they were going to be a little particular which was good but then yeah they they said they'd like to take me to the fall series with them and that was absolutely fantastic experience
0: yeah you're able to qualify in the the game to go basically there in the northeast region. So, what was that game to go like? I know that was against Bent, and probably one of the you know most exciting games you probably played in, just because of the stakes that was uh, that was out there, right?
1: Hmm. It was a very competitive game, and I know you're going to ask me later about my least favorite game, and that's going to be when we played Bent the day before <laughs> in the pool play. But our game to go against Bent, we went up a few breaks fairly early and everyone got really excited, a few big defensive plays and then big plays in the end zone to get those first few breaks. And then the, in- the intensity from us just stayed super high the whole game. And it was really, really fun. And it was kind of the first really big win I ever had with like a women's only club team. So that's the game I'll remember for a long, long time, for sure.
0: And that allowed you to then play in what some would say is the hardest tournament. That That's a up for debate there, but some would say the hardest tournament to play in is USA Ultimate National Championships. And so you were there with Iris. What was that experience like?
1: Completely humbling. Oh my goodness. Because Iris is one of the top teams in Canada, and then going to the States and playing in usau national championships which i'm one of the believers that this is the hardest tournament in ultimate it's not a great term but to just get rocked by the best women's teams in the states completely humbling and again fantastic experience every single player on the team is an unbelievable athlete and being coached by allison fisher for two full tournaments is invaluable to a player who's trying to improve and trying to make national teams to play with all of these elite players and be coached and be given direct feedback by one of the best coaches in the country is invaluable.
0: Yeah, shout out Allison. I know uh, she listens to a lot of the podcasts and she appeared on one herself. So if you want to check out the podcast with Allison Fisher, who coaches the Team Canada women's team that was supposed to be playing in the 2020 world ultimate Gus championships and she coaches with iris so if you want to check that out it's in the podcast archive and you can take a look at that as well and so with all this being said you're coming from a relatively lesser known area of ultimate and so now i'm going to give you a chance to give some advice to someone else that may be listening not just in canada but wherever they are in a part of the country that they live in where ultimate's not that big what's some advice for them to try to make it to a national team or even just a regional or nationally club-relevant team? What would your advice be for them?
1: Right. So I'll give, I guess, three key points that I've found have worked for me very, very well. And the first one is to never let pass a chance to play Ultimate at a very high level. If you see a team is looking for an extra player, put up your hand and say, me, Take me, please, and go and play with some different people and get them saying your name and conversation to other elite players. Maybe there'll be a live stream game and you'll have a great play that you can reference. Nothing bad will happen from going and just playing more ultimate and only good things. The second piece of advice is to be really good.
0: Easy to say, easy to say, harder to, to implement, but I like it.
1: Very easy to say, but it, it encompasses a lot of things. So be very fit. Like if, if you don't have a lot of opportunity to play, you can still get your fitness as good as it can be. You can run sprints, you can hit the gym, you can do bodyweight exercises in your basement, you can do yoga classes or, you know, box jumps on your couch. There's always a way to do fitness and 2020 has certainly come up with lots of unique and innovative ways to do it at home if you don't have the facilities or the equipment, but be as fit as possible. So if you do get to the tournament or get to the tryout, you can hang with the best players that you're competing for that spot. You can jump as high as them and you can run as fast and then work on your skills. So play as much ultimate as you can in your hometown and go throw with your partner or your friend or your teammate or, or anyone throw as, as much as possible. You, you can honestly never throw too many passes. There's like a little cheesy saying that like in order to be an expert in something, you have to do it like 20,000 times or 200,000 times or something, but throwing is the same, right?
0: Uh, I think it's 10,000 hours, but it's a lot of times. It's a lot. It's a lot.
1: Okay, Yeah. <laughs> something like that. But, but yeah, th- throw so much and then try really hard all the time. Like even in the games when you're winning by a lot and especially in the games when you're down, just try all the time, be like really energetic on the sideline. Like, just be a good teammate for everyone and be coachable. It might seem kind of, you know, cheesy and like you're trying to suck up, but there's nothing that coaches love more than someone who's easy to give advice to and they just take it and run with it and they listen and they value their opinion. It's so, so important.
0: That's uh, some great advice. You heard it here from Aaron Daly. So if you're from a small town yourself in whatever country you're living in, there's some advice for you. Just do not give up those opportunities to, to play and get better. And so with that last question here of this segment, and so the last question is, who are some people that were really instrumental in getting you to where you are? Some uh, opportunity for some shout outs and some uh, yeah, chance to be thankful for those people that have really uh, helped you.
1: Great. Well, first, we already gave a shout out to my coach, Brad, who's the first person who got me to play Ultimate, Brad Hutton. So thanks, Brad. My biggest shout out is going to be to Susie Stever. Susie was kind of, was my mentor when I was just getting good. And she was the one who brought me along with her whenever she would go pick up at a random tournament somewhere, she'd get the text saying, Susie, you know, come play with us. And she'd be like, okay, but I'm taking Aaron with me. (laughs) So she was the one that would get me to go play with different people all the time. And she was the one who would always go run sprints with me and throw with me and just really grind outside of practice and in the off season. So she was absolutely instrumental and just always giving me advice and pushing me to to be really good. So definitely to Susie. I've got lots of training buddies who, you know, maybe put in extra time to do workouts with me, which I really really appreciate. Jill Henderson when I was training for my very first Worlds in 2015 would run sprints with me and go to the gym all the time. My training buddy Cat White who I get her to go to the gym with me like three times a week and do sprints and stuff. And then Shay Deve, she's a young track athlete here in Newfoundland who's actually working to try and make Team Canada very soon. So she teaches me how to run fast and I give her some ultimate (laughs) guidance, maybe. I don't know if she needs too much, but she definitely helps me run faster.
0: You get to pay it forward a little bit, it sounds like. You get to take someone else under your wing now. So that's how you uh, continue that process there. So that's uh, really awesome there. We're going to move to segment two here, day-to-day life. I don't know about you out there in Newfoundland, but where I'm from in Toronto there, not really any Ultimate happening in a formal setting uh, due to COVID. I'm sure in other parts of the world, you understand when I say that. It's kind of a sad time for that. So what does your daily life look like now with training for Ultimate? Are you still doing that? What does that look like?
1: Right. So in Newfoundland, we're very fortunate that the number of cases of COVID has been quite low and our restrictions are very modest. We've been able to play ultimate since June. So we have outdoor league, or at least we had outdoor league the summer and fall, and we've got indoor league the winter. And I just signed up for another league that's starting in January. So we're very, very fortunate that we can play ultimate and we definitely don't take it for granted. Our gyms are all open. There's some COVID guidance and restrictions, but I can still go to the gym and do a full workout, every day of the week if i want to yoga studios are open so we can do you know injury prevention and that sort of thing so we're i'm very fortunate that in this off season it's not really that much different than what i would do in any regular year so very very lucky
0: yeah so basically you're saying to all the the women's teams out there you better watch out because you're coming out with some fire there all trained up ready to go all that good stuff so i'm sure many people who are listening are jealous of you that you can still play ultimate so uh good on you and how's that response been with the community? Has there been more people wanting to play Ultimate because that's a sport that maybe uh is running now and maybe other sports aren't? Like what's the community response been like?
1: It's been absolutely fantastic. And it's actually hard to get field space because so many leagues are, are able to play. We're completely booked up trying to compete for turf time <laughs> with other sports. And there's actually um a great grand master's league that started the summer and has now expanded to almost a hundred people. It's just incredible how it's, you know, kind of grown and there's so many people playing right now.
0: And so for those who don't know, what is the minimum age for the great grandmasters division? Aaron, I don't think you qualify for it, but uh what age is it?
1: I do not. <laughs> it's actually Forty-five years for female matching players, and fifty years for male matching players.
0: So, if you want to play some high-level uh, great grandmasters, you know where to go, and uh, something to look forward to if you're still playing at that time at that age. Yeah, I don't know how many people will still be playing in their fifties, but clearly, people are doing it out there. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, my mom actually is the president of the Great Grandmasters League.
0: <laughs> so you're coming from some ultimate legacy there. And you love to hear that, and that's awesome. And so, yeah. <laughs> and this is actually kind of an interesting question. Then, when you were a kid, did you ever want to play ultimate because of what your mom, or did your mom pick up ultimate later uh, in your life?
1: My mom only started playing very recently, like within the last few years. And I think my dad played only very casually, so I did not see ultimate as a sport that I would play. Later in life, growing up as a kid, it wasn't really in our school curriculum. it is now in all the school curriculum in the province, but it wasn't until university that I realized it was you know a, a sport that I could pursue and enjoy
0: that's pretty cool that it's uh in the school system there and so do you think that that will pay dividends for your junior teams, your open and women's teams will that really uh, do you think in a couple of years I'll really pay big dividends then
1: absolutely and we're already seeing the fruits of all of that labor. And I'm, I'm going to give a shout out now to my boyfriend, Nick House, who's the president of Ultimate Newfoundland Labrador, and who was one of the, if not the most instrumental person in getting Ultimate in the schools in Newfoundland. And he might be mad because I might botch the explanation because he knows this all to pieces. Just the smallest thing at CUCs a few years ago, we sent only maybe half a dozen players from the junior women's. Program here in Newfoundland that had to join up with another team, and then last year we sent a full team of women's players, and they had to even cut some people, and it was all from kids growing up in school playing ultimate, and now they're playing it at a a higher level outside of school and in the club team. So even just that one little thing is huge. But yeah, ultimate in schools has has really blown up here in Newfoundland recently.
0: Awesome, and so we uh, in Canada are hoping to see the dividends, and maybe elsewhere as well. Shout out to to Mr. House there and uh, I know he's a a passionate listener of the podcast. He was saying earlier, so do appreciate that as well. And so last part of this uh day-to-day uh segment here. So can you walk the audience through what your day-to-day life looks like both uh in the summer playing Ultimate uh let's say in a regular non-covid time and then now because you're not necessarily affiliated with the, the same team year to year. What does that look like in terms of your daily uh schedule there in the summers?
1: Right. Well, even in the summer I still work full time. Like you mentioned in the beginning, I'm an engineer and I work for a Canadian energy company called Suncore. So my daily life is still just working my, you know, eight to five job. And now I work that semi virtually from home and semi in the office. And we actually have the option to work up to three or four days a week at home, or we can work all five days in the office if we like. And then you know, after work, grab a snack or make some supper, and then could be a number of different workouts or go into a yoga class. I've really gotten into yoga the last few years just because it's so good for injury prevention and recovery. And, you know, I'm kind of aging.
0: <laughs> you're not aging to that great grandmaster's level. So I think you have some time. I don't know if you're heading to the master's age, but I think you have some time there. I think you're okay.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So we're going to move here. To segment three uh, memorable games. you want to start with the good stuff or the bad stuff?
1: Mm. Oh, we can start with the good stuff, maybe.
0: <laughs> all right. So we'll start with the most memorable game you've ever played. It doesn't have to be a game you necessarily won. Could have been a league game for all we know in the rec leagues back uh, when you first started. So what's your most memorable game that you've played in?
1: Well, I am going to go with a game that I didn't win. And I don't know how...
0: I like it. I like it.
1: (laughs) So some listeners may have watched this game live. It was the 2019 CUC mixed final between soup and lab. And it was pretty fantastic. Obviously very nervous. It was my first time ever making finals at CUCs. And it was actually my first time ever making the top eight at CUCs. So it was a really, really big deal for me. And I was so nervous. I was so, so, so nervous. And I had played fairly well during the tournament and I could feel my teammates putting pressure on, you know, our top scorers and, and on everyone to really bring it home for the game. But the game itself was everything you want in an ultimate game. It was highly competitive. It was a very, very close game. And Every single person was very skilled, like all my teammates and, and everyone on the other team was such a good player. I personally made some really big plays in the game, which helped, you know, with the good feelings. <laughs> the game was live streamed and I knew that I had some friends at home who were having a little, you know, watch party and, and cheering me on. And it was just it was so, so much fun. Definitely the the most fun I've ever had playing Ultimate. At one point in the game i went over and i texted nick and then I, I said i don't even care what happens for the rest of the game i'm having too much fun
0: <laughs> giving away the secrets are texting in the middle of the game i know uh a faux pas <laughs> for some of those listening they would never do that so uh it's kind of funny that you uh <laughs> that you expose your secret there from hey that that allows you to play well that allows you to play well so it's uh all good there and I'm going to leave the game link there. It's on YouTube with Ultimate Canada. They uh, were able to film that. So if you want to check that out, I'll leave that link in the show description. And it's also kind of cool that you're able to share about a game that you didn't win necessarily. Because often we think, you know, a memorable game has to be a game we won, But that might not necessarily be true. So thank you for sharing that. Now we're going to go to the bad news. Your least favorite game that you've played in. You mentioned it earlier. So we're going to kind of talk about it now. It was Northeast Regionals 2019 against the team out of New York, Bent. So what was the Saturday game like that you really did not like?
1: So, yeah, it was our last game of the day on Saturday, pool play against Bent. And we knew that it was going to come down between us and them, or or at least it was very likely that it would come down between us and them for the last spot to make it to USAU Nationals. And so the outcome of this game was very important. (laughs) even though it wasn't the game to go, we knew it, it, you know, it was telling. And it was my first day I'd ever played with Iris. I met pretty much everybody on the team the night before at the hotel and then had only played, you know, two or three games with them already that day. And I wasn't really fitting in quite yet. They had systems and they had plays and they were really tight knit and they'd just been playing together for so long. And I didn't feel like I had really found my gel with them yet. And so I wasn't playing at my best, which you try not to be selfish, but when you're not playing well, it's it's really hard to enjoy a game. And we lost the game, which was very disappointing. And then I could tell throughout the game that the team was very frustrated and not being able myself to kind of know what we needed to do to fix it. And then, change a few things just with my game to maybe help bring up the morale or, you know, make a few big plays. It it was frustrating that I, I couldn't help get us there. And another thing that made it sort of disappointing for me was that a lot of the Sixers players came to watch and their coach Carla was there. And I knew that how players were playing in this game would be remembered. And not many of them had ever seen me play before. Tryouts for Team Canada were coming up. So, if I wasn't performing well in this game, it wasn't looking great for me. You know, that was on my mind for a lot of the game, especially because players from Newfoundland don't really have very many opportunities to showcase our skills to other elite players and to, you know, the best coaches in the country. And I really wish that I could have gelled and played a lot better in that game. I feel kind of, you know, opportunity lost, but that's it. The next day was was better
0: and yeah, no, i appreciate you sharing and the vulnerability there because uh some people aren't necessarily able or willing to admit when there's other things weighing on your mind and that's kind of cool to to know as well to get into the mind of a high level player there and so when you were feeling that pressure do you think that that maybe changed how you even just acted during the game like the cuts you were making or even the throws because you felt like you might have to make this big play to kind of impress would you say that was something that that weighed on your mind I don't want to speak for you but
1: absolutely definitely weighed on my mind I I was more so afraid to mess up so I didn't want to make a big cut and come in and then drop it or I didn't want to try and you know throw a really crazy break or like a, a longer pass that maybe didn't get caught but I was hesitant to be really vocal on the sideline which, again, is, is something that coaches and players look for and an asset on their team is someone who's not just great on the field, but also on the sideline, you know, helping get their team pumped up and giving good sideline direction. And so not being able to perform really on or off field <laughs> that was a bit of a bummer.
0: And that could also be a product of, we've touched a lot about this theme of just like traveling and playing and picking up with these teams. Would you say that's a little bit of a product of that is that you're not able to necessarily gel right away just because these girls have been playing together for months and you kind of hop in, uh, not necessarily to be the savior of the team, but to, to help and obviously help them be successful. So would you say that's a little bit part of the coming from a different part of the country aspect when you're playing with those teams?
1: Definitely does. Coming from a different team in a different place and then gelling with a team like Iris, who's been playing together for so long. They have their systems and they have their plays and they just have all of that, the chemistry and the touches together. It's hard to fit in with them. So it took a long time for me at regionals to kind of get into their system and and feel like I was really contributing and that I was an asset. And then by the time we got to USAUs, it was a bit better. I got into my groove and I was getting lots of great feedback from fish and lots of touches with the girls. So it uh, just took some time, but I got there. On soup. I gelled a lot quicker, but that was probably because we were all pickup, (laughs) which is one of the good things of a pickup team. Sometimes you gel really quickly. (laughs) Sometimes you don't, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And uh, your story is still yet to be written there. Some more uh, things happening for you. So what are the next steps for you? What are the goals for Aaron Daly in the Ultimate World?
1: Well, the most immediate goal is to get to the 2021 Worlds, which if they go ahead or not, you know, I can't do anything to make or break that decision. But to get there and to perform my absolute best at that tournament is the number one goal that I have right now. So just training and preparing to perform at that tournament is my number one goal. So that means doing all the things I talked about earlier, tons and tons of throwing and making sure my fitness is at the absolute peak when I show up there on day one.
0: There you go. We don't know if it's going to be 2021. It could be 2022. We don't know. So uh, it's kind of a wait and see here. But uh, Aaron, we're going to finish up with last segment here. We're going to do some rapid fire. We're going to start with some ultimate related questions first. Okay. All right. We're going to start with the first one here. Which throw do you prefer, your flick or your backhand? Backhand. What about hammer or scuba? Hammer. Would you rather drop a pull or drop a catch in the end zone?
1: Oh, rather drop a catch in the end zone.
0: (laughs) And why is that? Why is that?
1: Oh, just the devastation of dropping a pole is unmatched by any failure in Ultimate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like uh, someone speaking from personal experience. (laughs) Well, we'll move on here. (laughs) Would you rather win five silver medals at nationals or USAUs, whatever term you can think of, or just one gold medal and that's it? One gold medal. Some hot topic issues here. Should Ultimate be renamed?
1: Oh, Wow, I actually have never heard anyone bring that up before. I've never really given it some thought, but I—I I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I mean, what are the other options? <laughs> well,
0: you got to come up with your own options there. Flying disc, I know is out there, but everyone has their own opinions about it. But it seems some people think that it's too far gone. It's too much in the public consciousness, so uh, it can't really be changed at this point. Oh, okay. So, last two questions are the ultimate-based ones. Should ultimate have referees?
1: Oh yes, I think so, but only because I'm really awkward at talking to people about calls, I'd just rather someone else do it.
0: Yeah, I mean with the observers you still gotta do some talking before you go to them. So I get with the reps, you would just uh have the calls be solved there. Yeah. And last one, uh as someone who's trying to, you know, make these national teams, should Ultimate continue to pursue the Olympics? Oh yeah. Yeah, maybe one day uh that could that could be you, right? So makes sense. So now some non-sports questions. I'm going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history. They can be living or they can be brought back from the dead. So you got to pick three people you want to share this meal with.
1: Ooh. Okay. Gordon Ramsay.
0: So is is Gordon cooking this meal, though, is the main question.
1: I figure if he's eating it, it's going to be good, right? And for me, what you're eating like almost matters just as much as who you're eating with. <laughs> <laughs> Julie Andrews, the lady from Mary Poppins of The Sound of Music, and maybe like a young Brad Pitt,
0: <laughs> so we're gonna have Golden ramsay in his current state, Julie Andrews, and then a young Brad Pitt like Fight Club, Brad Pitt kind of thing, or
1: I'm thinking more like Troy
0: okay, all right, sounds like a good meal there. So now, next question, I'm going to give you a chance to put on a concert in your backyard there in St. John's, Newfoundland. you got to pick any bands, artists in the world, even if the band broke up or, they're, or the artist is not living anymore. you got to pick three, but the added part is you have to pick the order in which they play.
1: Okay, start with Beyonce, then Elton John, and finish with Queen.
0: Okay, I like the eclectic mix. You got the order set out ready to go. (laughs) It'll be a good concert there. Saint John's will be bumping. So uh good stuff. So last question here of the rapid fire. Can't choose ultimate for this question. I'm gonna give you all the talent in the world. You can pick any sport, organization to play for, position, all that good stuff. So in this Maple League world, what would you be doing instead of Ultimate?
1: I'd be the fastest man alive, like hundred yard dash.
0: There you go. All right. So you're taking out some records there uh, in the Olympics and beyond. So that's awesome. <laughs> so, Aaron, that actually wraps up our show for today. Thank you for coming on the podcast there. I know a little bit of time zone difference out there in the East Coast. So thank you uh, for uh, staying up and uh, doing the podcast here. So if our audience wants to find out more about you, I talked about the game earlier that they can check out. Is there any other games they can find with you in it? Or uh, what about your social media? If you uh, are active there, you can uh, plug that as well.
1: Oh, I have a very modest social media, <laughs> but it's just AaronDaily24 on Instagram. Give me a follow. Not a whole lot of Ultimate stuff, some baking stuff. I do dabble in cakes and the like.
0: And uh, any games that, any other live streams that you've been a part of that you know of that uh, can be unearthed from the archives there?
1: A good few soup games from this year's CUCs. And some beach games from 2015, but as I said, I didn't really play that well, so maybe don't check those out.
0: <laughs> the thing is, if you do have an UltiWorld subscription, you can check out some of the games from Northeast Regionals, which Iris was in, so that's another example. You can find Aaron Daly out there playing for Iris, so you can check that out as well. So Aaron, thank you for coming on the podcast today. do appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Davide More, a player coach for Cusby La Fata, the defending European Open Club champions and head coach of the U24 Team Italy Open teams. In this interview, Davide talks about the rise and growth of the Italian Juniors Ultimate Program and his experience as a coach and technical director for the Cusba Program. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at wand underscore and underscore only underscore sports. You can see some of my commentary highlights on YouTube. At the Channel One and only Sports, and you can reach me by email at theo six at gmail dot com catch you listeners on the flip side peace.